Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Today is August 10th, 2021, and you are tuning in to the Self-Protectorate Broadcast. I am Burb, and I'll be your host for this week's show. The U.S. government, in fact, most governments, are in a state of perpetual crisis when it comes to legitimate authority. Let's dive in on how a self-protectorate solves this problem of illegitimate state authority. First, I want to go over the three vital societal components of the state, power, authority, and law. Keep in mind that the three societal components of power, authority, and law are vital. They are absolutely necessary in order for any and every state to operate, in order for a state to be a state or a country to be a country. Power refers to the power from the people, meaning the people's labor and wealth. No organization can exist without people. Uh, the people are the economic and commercial engine which funds the state. The people not only pay taxes, but also build up the general infrastructure and wealth of the state. This is all done through advancements in science and technology to include weaponry for defense, medical achievements, communications and engineering advancements, etc. Authority is the societal, the societal component that directs the power of the state. That's what authority is. Uh, this is where governments and self-protectorates come into play. Okay, governments and self-protectorates are both societal institutions created by the people of the state in order to direct or control the power of the state's people. You know, just like electricity being funneled through power lines and then through step-down transformers and further directed to specific areas of your home via wires, breakers, uh, circuits, and wall outlets, the authority of the state is used to control and direct the power of the people. One way it helps to direct the power of the people is through the establishment of a sound monetary system or a common currency system, which effectively liquefies the power of the people into easily transportable common units like dollars or rubles or yuan or yuan or yen or whatever you want to call it, Bitcoin, whatever, right? Through the establishment of currency, uh, the state can then tax the people in order to operate the affairs of the state. And the people will have easier access to commerce in the state thanks to the common currency system. This provides for greater economic freedom to the people to be able to transact with neighbors and businesses. Law, the third component, the third societal component of the state, law is the societal component that sets the rules on how the power is to be directed by the authority. In other words, the law is what guides the authority because authority alone is not sufficient enough in directing the power of the state. Imagine a situation where political leaders have authority to direct or order people to do certain things, but the orders or directives run contradictory to the other orders or directives. That happens in the U.S. government pretty much all the time. Law is what prevents contradictory orders or directives, or at least it's supposed to. Without law, there is chaos and confusion, which is why law is the component of the state that keeps authority in check. In other words, law is supposed to keep government in check, but it doesn't do such a great job due to the changeableness of the law that is found in all governments. You see, authority can be placed into a government where the laws can change at any time or for any reason. Or authority can be placed into a self-protectorate where the laws are unchangeable. The key difference between a self-protectorate and a government is this societal component of law. Should laws be allowed to change? 
a system of law that allows the law to be changed, not only allows the law to be corrupted, but also institutionalizes systemic corruption. Government is that self-same system. Government is corrupt because it uses a system of law that is corrupt, changeable law. This is why we need a self-protectorate, ladies and gentlemen, because government is intentionally designed to be corrupt. Because the system of law it uses is designed to be corrupt. And corrupt laws affect all facets of society. It doesn't matter if you're a preacher or a teacher or a doctor or a welder or a foreman or a contractor or a tech expert or whatever. Corrupt laws can badly affect all different facets of society. And they regularly and routinely do. On this show... And on all the social media where you can find Be The Burb, we do our best to point out laws or bills or proposals for new laws that are highly corrupt and how they disenfranchise the liberties of the common person. Typically, with government, laws are written with the interests of large corporations in mind, not with the liberties of the common person in mind. Government is the institution of authority of the state characterized by changeable therefore corruptible law. All governments institute a system of law that allows for the law to be changeable, alterable, amendable, etc., or to have laws added or abolished. With government, the law is more or less fluid depending on the type of government. However, the law is always subject to change no matter what type of government it is. It can be a monarchy, an oligarchy, a democracy, a republic, or an anarchy. It doesn't matter. If the system of law allows for laws to be changed, it will always attract the worst and most power-hungry people to those positions where the law is decided. This is why government will always have systemic corruption, because systemic corruption is built right into its systems. Law that is changeable is corruptible, and a corruptible system of law enables systemic corruption from the top down. And this corruption eventually leads to the collapse of entire countries. It's the rot from within, ladies and gentlemen. The unfortunate cycle of governments bringing about societal collapse, which then causes another government to come into being, has happened throughout the ages and continues to happen today. In fact, uh, there are many state-supported or state-directed revolutionary groups around the globe, often you know, referred to as terrorist organizations, that understand this pattern, and they use it to their advantage, continuously seeking for changes in laws that will ultimately serve their purpose of collapsing a government so the revolutionary group or terrorist organization can install their own government and take control of that state or territory. This is exactly what is going on in the United States today with the Communist Revolutionary Front Groups of Black Lives Matter and Antifa, but more so with the organizations that fund and control them. These organizations understand that if a state cannot be taken over in an outright war, infiltration can be used as a means of corrupting and hijacking the government from within. By altering laws until the government is completely controlled by the infiltrators or weakened enough to the point where it collapses or causes the state's society to collapse, the infiltrating group can either continue to shape the government into their liking or they can form a whole new government after the old one has completely collapsed and gone away. It is the mechanism of law change within government that causes the downfall of nation-states and the avenue by which its enemies can control the population. Historically and today, there are five generally recognized types of government. 
monarchy, oligarchy, democracy, anarchy, and republic. Those five types of government can really be whittled down to just two, um, oligarchy and republic. If you look at the qualities of the five types of government and their ability to last, you can see that in reality, there are only two types of government with any meaningful longevity. That's oligarchy and republic. Oligarchy is the most common type of government historically and today. With approximately, what, 195 recognized nation states around the globe today, most of them have some form of oligarchy, even though they may be decorated with differing titles as to the form and function of what their government is. You see, titles can be deceiving or misleading. Sometimes they're meant to be. So it's by looking at the actual form and structure of the government that determines what type of government it really is. For example, North Korea's government is officially called the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Wow, doesn't that sound really nice? However, it doesn't take much to scratch the surface and find that North Korea's government is anything but a republic or democratic. It is, in fact, a brutal oligarchy. On the other hand, Switzerland's government promotes itself as a direct, pure, or semi-direct democracy, yet it has a constitution and system of laws that are more in keeping with that of a republic. Oligarchy is ruled by a group, and it's the most common type of government. In fact, the governments of all the major power block nation states in the world today, you know, China, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Russia, Brazil, Japan, England, the United States, etc., all of them, they are all oligarchies. None of them are republics. Some oligarchies can be considered benevolent, while others are considered brutal. It's the circumstance where corporations, banks, businesses, special interest groups, wealthy individuals, and wealthy families have access to influence the creation of law that makes nation-states modern-day oligarchies. In many cases, the oligarchs and their corporate heads actually write the laws and hand it over for rubber stamp approval through the legislative systems of the government. It just... It doesn't happen just in the U.S., ladies and gentlemen. This happens in every country worldwide. What this means is that the rule and destiny of these countries is out of the hands of the people, as the, as the people's power and authority has been usurped and concentrated into the hands of a small group, an oligarchy. And oligarchies tend to be ripe with injustice against the people, trampling their rights and freedoms in order to accomplish the coordinated agenda of the social elite. A republic is ruled by law, and while it isn't the most common type of government, republics have more longevity than democracies or anarchies. Republics have been able to compete with oligarchies on the world stage, but oligarchs don't like them because it is the common people that make the law, not the small elite group. Republics are generally immune from direct invasion, as the state has a strong military that's able to repel invading forces. Uh, the longevity of a republic depends on how its system of law is established. If it's a system that makes it difficult to change the law, if it's difficult to change the law, then it will last longer. But if the republic exists as a government, then of course the laws will be subject to change and inevitably... Those who seek for power will find their way to the control mechanism of law. They will adapt to those systems, and like a parasite sucking the life from its host, they will then proceed to change the laws for their benefit at the expense of the people, thus turning the republic into an oligarchy. I mean, this has happened throughout history, so why should we expect anything different today? And this is why I don't like the idea of, quote, 
limited government because you can't actually limit government. It will always grow beyond the control of the people and will inevitably turn into an oligarchy. What some modern political theorists have termed the pride cycle or cycle of decadence generally leads to the downfall of a republic from within and causes its subsequent transition into an oligarchy, similar to what happened in ancient Rome and what has happened in modern times to the United States. This cycle accurately points out that when a state is formed, the people enter into an agreement or social compact, you know, whether voluntary or not, with a new government and the state. The bargain cut is that the government will protect the people, their liberties and property in exchange for the support of the people via taxes and participation in the state's political systems. When the new government is formed, there is an initial swell of support from the people and a new and robust economy develops and soon the people have the things they wanted in order to make their lives more comfortable and enjoyable. They get houses, cars, TVs, designer clothes, jewelry, smartphones, wealth, video games, video games aplenty, etc. and galore and more. It's like Vegas on steroids, baby. It is at this point that the people take less and less of an active role in the affairs of their government and in the defense of their liberties. And while the people are distracted by their newly found wealth, special interest groups, large businesses, banks, and wealthy families take advantage of the legislative mechanisms of the government and institute laws that ultimately degrade society and break the agreement between the people and their government. Thus, you lose your freedoms. The people are then left with an oligarchy where their liberties are more or less trampled on by their government as it has been hijacked by the social elite. This is exactly what has happened in the United States. And of course, the social elite that have taken over the U.S. government, and they did so a long time ago, they haven't announced that they have done this. Otherwise, there would have been a revolt against them a long time ago. This is the reason why self-protectorate is necessary in today's world. Self-protectorate is designed to stop the transition of a republic into an oligarchy by permanently taking the control levers of state power and authority away from the social elite and placing everyone on equal grounds with respect to the law because the law is unchangeable and equally applies to everyone in a self-protectorate. You see, self-protectorate self is the institution of authority of the state characterized by unchangeable law. It is the alternative to government. As I previously stated, the, so, the uh, societal component of authority does not have to be placed in a government, but instead it can be placed in a self-protectorate. In a self-protectorate, the law is unable to be changed, altered, amended, abolished, or new laws added. Uh, the law is fixed. It's permanent immutable and immovable. There is no mechanism for law change in a self-protectorate. There is no legislature, no council, no precedent, no orders, no senate, no house, no congress, etc. The primary purpose of a self-protectorate is to permanently shut systemic corruption out of the state. And in order to do so, the laws of the self-protectorate cannot be allowed to change in any form or fashion. When the law is unchangeable, it is only then that it can be held to be inviolate. If you truly want the law to be inviolate, then it has to be done through a self-protectorate, not government. It's only when the law is fair and has equal application and is inviolate that all people are on an equal footing with each other and with the state. There are so many people in the world today looking for a better way, looking for a better system of state authority. The system they are all looking for is self-protectorate. If what they're looking for is not self-protectorate, then they are essentially looking for another form of government. 
Look, we all want things to be fair, and self protectorate is that system of fairness. self protectorate is designed to protect the lives, liberties, and property of all people who fall under its purview while simultaneously rooting out and preventing systemic corruption. It's the next logical evolution in the advancement of the nation-state. If the power, authority, and law of a state are organized into the institution of government, meaning any institution where people recognize that law can be changed, so long as the laws are made unchangeable, then by basic definition, the state is organized into a self-protectorate. In order to consider that self-protectorate is the next logical evolution in the advancement of state and society in general, it is of great importance to first look at one of the most recent advancements in government and state, which is that of a constitutional government. So looking at the process uh, the founders of the United States government went through in order to produce the U.S. Constitution, one can see the intent of these men and can correctly note that they certainly had limitations on the ability to draft the Constitution. The idea for their constitution came primarily from the previous Articles of Confederation, but more importantly, from the Magna Carta. As the Magna Carta is one of the most well-known documents in the history of Western societies that created a contract between the people and their, their king or their government, uh, the founders decided on a similar concept in order to organize the structure of their new government to secure the backing and rights of the people, thus we, the people, became the first words of the new constitution, uh, you know, even though the people were not present and were largely unaware of the work that had commenced, which would change their lives. The writers of the U.S. Constitution were challenged in what they could accomplish by limitations in distance, uh, time, money, technology, and the political and societal precepts of their day. However, regardless of these challenges, Many of the principles found in the U.S. Constitution are sound and true and have resonated with a vast trove of people since the document was ratified and became the law of the land in 1789. Still, though, there are some things the U.S. Constitution originally um, espoused that are, let's say, onerous to common sense modern era political views, such as the enablement and recognition of slavery or the enablement and of the enablement of oppression against native tribes, or the oppression against women and minorities to vote. Um, these issues have either been resolved or at least pitifully addressed, as in the matter of the United States dealings with native tribes, for example. However, uh, there are still several glaring issues with the U.S. Constitution that need to be resolved. The first issue is that the Constitution allows Congress the ability to borrow money and does not set any limits on this authority. I mean, that's absolutely insane. That's nuts. As a result today, the United States is the most indebted nation state in the world. We're, we're the most indebted nation in the world, in the history of the world, ladies and gentlemen. The U.S. is the most indebted in the history of the world thanks to the U.S. Constitution and not preventing Congress from borrowing an infinite amount of money. Freedom cannot long be maintained when debts and obligations are owed to foreign states and foreign banks. Um, the next issue with the U.S. Constitution is that the Bill of Rights, you know, the first ten amendments to the Constitution, they were an afterthought by the founders. Uh, the Bill of Rights was written after the Constitution and wasn't ratified until two years after the Constitution itself was ratified. You know, people tend to make lists in order of importance, typically with the most important item on their agenda at the top of the list. 
the U.S. Constitution places an order of importance, the establishment of the legislature first. You know, the mechanism for law change, the one that corrupts everything, and the recognition of the freedoms and rights of the people last. Fortunately for some U.S. states, their constitutions have been written with the freedoms and rights of the people listed first and foremost. Uh, you can argue that natural law doesn't require an extensive list of freedoms and rights, and that exhaustive lists in the constitutions only serve the positivist views that liberties come from government or the state, uh, not from God or nature. However, the freedoms, rights, and privileges that are listed in the constitutions, in, the, uh, in all these constitutions, uh, they are meant to inform their respective states of what liberties of the people cannot be affected by the state and what liberties the state is allowed to restrict in consequence of broken laws. Now, the biggest issue with the U.S. Constitution that I take issue with and that you should and everyone else should too is that it's written in a way that allows for itself to be changed. It allows for itself to be changed. It also establishes a legislature that allows the law to be changed at any time for any reason at any moment in its absolute insanity and bananas. We're in bananas land, ladies and gentlemen. Herein lies the chief complaint against the U.S. Constitution in its current condition and the reason that it should be rearranged, recomposed, and reconstituted to make it into the founding document of a self-protectorate. The framers of the Constitution placed within it provisions that allow amendments to be passed which can have the effect of either changing U.S. law or of changing the Constitution itself. What this means is that the Constitution is in perpetual danger of being lost by not only domestic intrigue from U.S. corporations, but by foreign investments, as we are seeing today with China buying up U.S. agriculture and other U.S. properties and businesses. I mean, folks, the nation is being sold out from underneath our feet right now. No one, none of us seem to even notice or care. Well, it's going to be a big wake-up call for you here in the near future. There have been many judges, attorneys, and constitutional scholars who have opined the Constitution as a living, quote, living document. And as everyone should know, living things die. You know, sometimes they are, they are murdered, okay? <laughs> In fact, there's a growing course of people who believe that the U.S. Constitution passed that precipice a long time ago and that the Constitution is today no more than a ceremonial script or a zombie document, you know, the living dead. Not only does the U.S. Constitution allow for laws to be made, altered, or abolished by Congress, it also permits ways for law to be made, altered, or abolished by the executive and judicial branches. You know, the president can issue executive orders, which, which those can be considered pseudo-laws, and carry at least some weight of authority behind them, especially in a state of emergency. And the president can veto bills passed by the Congress in order to stop laws from being made, or the president can decide through signing statements to sign a law into existence and simultaneously disregard portions of the law or even disregard the entirety of it. The U.S. Supreme Court can create de facto law through the use of a questionable legal doctrine known as precedent. And the Supreme Court can also declare entire laws or parts of laws to be unconstitutional and therefore null and void. What all this means is that even though the founders built into the U.S. government a system of checks and balances, they also unwittingly allowed for a level of corruption to exist within all branches of government. The working assumption was that the three branches would fight with each other so much so 
that they would be too busy to subvert the liberties of the people and steal their property via excessive taxation. Well, nearly two and a half centuries later, we can all see that that was a foolish assumption. But the U.S. Constitution has led the way for the formation of the best of Western governments. You know, since the ratification and adoption of the U.S. Constitution, American states and foreign nation states have adopted similar systems of government based on this historically unique document. However, similar failings that are found within the U.S. Constitution can also be found within other states' constitutions as well, namely the creation of a mechanism whereby law can change, a legislature. And similar to the U.S. government, systemic corruption can be found at all levels of government because the law is allowed to be changed, which then attracts corrupt men and women to that self-same mechanism so they can control the levers of power within the state to enrich their friends and themselves at the expense of the people. To my fellow patriots and conservatives, right now, history is at a crossroads. Our nation is now under constant assault by foreign and domestic communist forces using fourth-generation warfare in an effort to subvert the U.S. Constitution and overthrow the United States of America. We must rise to meet and vanquish the evil and corruption threatening our country. Our government has been infiltrated by communist forces and is being subverted and overthrown. We must take back our government and establish a self-protectorate to permanently stop the corruption that is tearing our country apart. Learn what a self-protectorate is and how we can use it to take our country back and establish a land of true peace and prosperity. Buy the book, Self-Protectorate, Blueprint for a Better World, on sale at Amazon.com and Gumroad.com. Let's support freedom and liberty for all. The solution to stopping the systemic corruption found within the state is to make it impossible to change the law. This is why the idea of self-protectorate is of such paramount importance. For those looking for an alternative to government and who are looking to defeat systemic corruption, self-protectorate is the appropriate avenue to take. A self-protectorate has no legislative system, and while it does maintain an executive and judicial system, both are forbidden from creating de facto law or abolishing existing law. In a self-protectorate, the executive is not allowed to issue executive orders other than to order that the existing law be enforced and followed. The judiciary, in a self-protectorate, cannot set precedent and cannot declare a law to be unlawful and void. No blanket judicial review. Self-protectorate literally does not allow for any mechanism to exist that can or will change the law. It does, however, rely on a unique selection system where executives and judges are not elected or appointed but are rather selected by the people to enforce the law and judge the people according to the law as it is written. It's the duty of the judges in a self-protectorate to accurately interpret and apply the law as it is written, and only on a case-by-case -case basis, meaning that precedent is not allowed. Therefore, in a self-protectorate, it is incumbent upon the people to select the absolute best candidates when choosing their judges. Uh, should the people have made a mistake, should the people make a mistake in the selection of a judge, the judge can peacefully and easily enough be removed from office thanks to a built-in easy recall system. Unlike the recall systems that we have today with like Governor Gavin Newsom trying to be recalled, takes forever, right? Not so in a self-protectorate. Executives can also be peacefully removed from office if they are found by the people to be in violation of the law or are failing in their duties to properly execute the law, thanks to the same easy recall system. 
Self-protectorate is the centralized institution of authority of the state that is characterized by law that is not changeable. It is the authority of the state organized as a true republic, meaning rule by law where the law is held inviolate above all, where the law cannot change. Self-protectorate is the established charter or constitution of a country where the law is designed not to change. So, like the U.S. government, a self-protectorate also has a charter or constitution. And the charter or constitution expressly lays out, first and foremost, the freedoms of the people which the state cannot violate under any circumstance. And then lays out the responsibilities and function of the judicial system and the executive system. The charter or constitution also establishes a code of fixed permanent and unchangeable law known as the code of laws. You know, in Western government, at least in the United States, we all, we obviously have, uh, we have now U.S. code. We have, uh, if you look at different states, they have different codes of law. Like the South Carolina has a code of laws. Georgia has a code of laws. California has a code of laws. This is the way that it's actually meant to be. The only thing that doesn't need to be is the changeableness of the law. The code of laws of a self-protectorate is the summation of all the laws of the self-protectorate contained in uh, textual form. It is the library of permanent state laws. You know, the overall design of a self-protectorate is suited for the needs, uh, yeah, not the wants of the people, but the needs. Because largesse, having too much stuff in government, for example, it's become an all too familiar theme with many governments, pretty much every government. And this largesse has led to the dilution of respect for government, especially while government tramples on the, on the people's liberties. In the self-protectorate, there are no special interest groups to lobby or bribe a Congress because there is no Congress. There are also severe restrictions put on the judicial and executive branches as to who can serve, and they can only serve for one term without being allowed to serve in any state office again ever while simultaneously being subject to an easy recall system. This is done so the people can hold their judges and executives directly accountable and easily accountable. Uh, the design of a self-protector does not allow for largesse by the state. There's no pork or no pet projects, no spending bills where billions of dollars just go to foreign states and you have no idea about it. The people grant their authority to the state in order to see that their lives, freedoms, rights, privileges, and property are protected and secured from foreign and domestic abuses. Not so they can have their lives threatened and liberties trampled on by the state. Government routinely fails to protect the people's liberties while simultaneously spending the people's wealth on the agendas of the social elite. It, if the state is not a good steward of the people's purse, then it is destroying the people's wealth and livelihood. After all, the power to tax is the power to destroy. Self-protectorate is not allowed to do anything but protect the lives, liberties, and property of the people. In other words, a self-protectorate cannot operate a social welfare system. It cannot loan or gift money to foreign states. It cannot loan or gift money to businesses or charities. It cannot redistribute wealth that it taxes. It cannot regulate the size of your toilet seat. It cannot give bailouts or bail-ins or anything else like these. Some people have concerns over a system of law that is not allowed to change because they think it will be too rigid to last through societal stresses, such as when cultural norms shift and become outmoded, or when, you know, when technology advances. That's another big one. When technology advances, 
and changes how society operates. Shouldn't the law change then? Well, the thought here then is that a changeable system of law must be allowed to exist in order to adapt to these changing circumstances. However, while this notion is well-intentioned, ultimately such statements are only virtue signaling and do nothing more than place the needs of banks, businesses, and special interest groups ahead of the needs of the people. I mean, you know, if only everybody was perfect and never had a selfish thought and didn't act on greed, then it wouldn't matter what authority of the state existed because you know, there wouldn't be any corruption. However, the idea of self-protectorate takes into consideration the failings of mankind and it is developed as a means of combating corruption in order to bring about a situation of lasting freedom and fairness for all people with as little interference from the state as possible. It's called law and order, ladies and gentlemen. Law and order can only truly be found in a self-protectorate. Similar to the critarchal-based judicial systems of Western governments today, uh, the judicial system found within a self-protectorate is structured so that a series of courts can hear arguments and make determinations or judgments on issues that are a matter of law. Different to many of these systems, however, is the fact that in a self-protectorate, judicial review, or the ability of a court to nullify law, and precedent, or you know, the ability of a court to establish de facto law by mandating a certain interpretation of existing law, these are not allowed. Cases in a self-protectorist judicial system are to be tried on a case-by-case -case basis, meaning that if two cases come before a court and they are similar in some respects, the outcome and ruling of one case cannot affect the outcome and ruling of the other. This would be precedent, and it's not permitted in a self-protectorate. Judges in a self-protectorate must judge a case by the laws which clearly apply to it. It is the responsibility of the state in criminal cases to bring charges against a suspected criminal, and it is the responsibility of the people to bring suits against those suspected of breaking civil law. However, the responsibility of the courts is to first determine whether the laws involved in these cases apply, and if they apply, to then ensure that each case is adjudicated on its own merits. Only judges are able to interpret the law and affect the law's interpretation within each case. It is the judge's interpretation of the law without the use of precedent that provides flexibility in the, judici in the judicial system to act as part of the overall societal stress pressure relief valve system. Uh, the other parts of this relief valve system also include a selection system for the judges as well as the executives. An easy recall system for both judges and executives to hold them directly accountable to the people, a one-term limit for both judges and executives, a restriction on serving in state office again after having served for one term in any office, and a system of lower and higher courts so that the people can seek for their cases to be appealed. It's through the court system that the state and the people will need to seek for a redress of their grievances so that society will not tear itself apart from any actual or perceived wrongs, but will instead decide to live peaceably. I mean, I don't understand why there's riots in the street when you have government. That shouldn't be the case. In a self-protectorate, there, uh, there is a self, uh, there's a relief valve system, let's put it that way. And it takes all that pressure off of society whenever you have stresses put on uh, communities. They need to seek for a redress of their grievances through the court system. However, the most notable part of the relief of this relief valve system is that you know all the laws are written so simply that they can be easily understood and interpreted in such a way as to take into consideration uh, future advancements in technology 
and in this way, all the laws can be applicable for centuries to come. Taken all together, with all the parts of a self-protector working in concert, like a streamlined, well-oiled machine, uh, the lives, liberties, and property of the people are truly secure and protected. Republics that operate under government are not true republics in the sense that the law is held inviolate. In a government which purports to have a republic, the law is placed under the purview of the state where the government can control the law and how it is applied. This situation places the people of the state in a position of perpetual duress and confusion. In this situation, the people are unable. I mean, we're all unable to learn the laws because they change all the time. They change all the time, and so what was considered correct yesterday is not correct today, and who knows if it'll be right tomorrow. When there are too many laws, and when the law is subject to change at any moment for any reason, the people are placed in a position of helplessness, in a position of perpetual duress with regards to the law and the law's recognition of the people's liberties. The United States of America is presently the one nation with the most laws on the planet. With more attorneys per capita than any other nation, it should come as no surprise that the U.S. is also the most litigious society on earth. The law should not be overbearing to the people of a state to the extent that it is found in most modern states. In a true republic, the law is incorruptible and held in such high esteem that its importance is placed higher than that of the people of the state. The law is the great equalizer, the one facet of society that can fully unite a people together in common interest, but only if the law is permanent and truly equal in its application. Self-protectorate is the only authority of the state that can operate a true republic, and as such, the economic system it establishes through its laws is true capitalism. Uh, government may come close to this reality of a true republic, but it will always fall short due to the nature of changeable law. Uh, the law of the state must be inviolate in order for the state to have legitimacy in the eyes of the people. This is why governments are often viewed as being illegitimate, because the law changes and therefore the government and all other state systems are corruptible. I hope I've made myself very clear on this point. Well, that's all the time I have for this week, ladies and gentlemen, but before I go, I do have some good news. We are growing at Be The Burb, and starting next month, there's going to be more and better content to, to uh, spread on social media that you can share with all your friends and family. Uh, but please keep sharing the links to the show, whether it's the video version found on Rumble and Brideon, or if it's the podcast version on now, now on you know one of many, many podcast pages, actually. Um, if you want a direct and downloadable podcast, you can visit BeTheBird.com and click on the broadcast tab, and you'll be transported to all of the available podcasts for this show. Uh, there's a new broadcast podcast weekly every Tuesday. But if you want to learn more, check out BeTheBird.com or purchase a copy of the book, Self-Protectorate Blueprint for a Better World, and keep this broadcast going. Remember, you can also find me on Gab, MeWe, Parlor, Minds, CloudHub, Getter and Brighty on social, and pretty much I'm trying to get on any and every other social media site I possibly can. So if you know of one that you'd like to hear me on or like for me to get on, uh, just drop me a line at uh, bethebird.com. And thank you so much for, for tuning in, and until next time, keep promoting righteous change. Right now, people just like you are clamoring for more freedom and more stability in an increasingly unstable world. 
On one hand, I hear people complain about the soaring crime rates. On the other hand, I hear people disgusted with police brutality. Well, I'm here to say that whether you think that criminals are the problem, or whether you think that the police are the problem, the real problem is government that has caused the crime and the police brutality. Government is the main source of society's problems. Let me say it again. Government is the main source of society's problems. If you've ever heard the expression that the fish rots from the head down, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's corruption. Government is designed, intentionally designed, to be corrupt. To corrupt the state, to corrupt society, and the lives of the people. This is done by changeable law. If the law can be changed, it is corruptible. What that means is that government employs a system of corrupt law. Think about it. When society's laws are corrupted, the people become corrupted. Doctors, nurses, teachers, foremen, artists, engineers, mechanics, police, firefighters, day laborers, lawyers, clergy, and more. Corrupt laws affect all facets of society. Government changes laws, and it is the sole reason for systemic corruption within society. If you're like me, and you want to live in a society that is free of corruption, then you want a self-protectorate. If you haven't heard about this before, then listen to this new idea. There is an alternative to government, and it is self-protectorate. A self-protectorate is like a government, but the key difference is that a self-protectorate does not allow for the law to be changed. In a self-protectorate, the law is immutable, unchangeable, unalterable, unamendable. It is a system of permanent law, and it is the only way to achieve a society that is not rife with corruption. I am The Verb. Visit BeTheVerb.com and take action now. Learn about self-protectorate. Tell your family, tell your friends. Let's put a stop to corruption together.